Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray together as we stand. Our Heavenly Father, indeed, wonder and love and praise are what you deserve. Uh, for you are the God who is willing. Uh, that you are indeed the God who sent your Son, your Son who chose the cross for us. Uh, your Son who sees our great need of your favour, of forgiveness, of a way back. And you are willing to provide it. And so, Father, we do pray that as we open up Luke's Gospel again this morning, that we would see this willingness of our God and that would hit us afresh, uh, that you are like that towards even us. And we pray that we would see that for your glory's sake. Amen. Amen. Please uh, turn back in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel as we continue uh, looking at the early chapters of Luke together, page 1032. Uh, in the church Bibles, 1032. And we're actually just going to be looking at the first uh, five verses that were read out for us, verses 12 to 16 of Luke 5, and we'll pick up from there uh, in a couple of weeks when we resume uh, this series. So Luke 5, 12 to 16, page 1032. And we have uh, really since Easter been looking together at these early chapters of Luke to see in them the ministry of Jesus Christ, the ministry of the one who is our king, who owns absolutely everything, including your life, for he gave it to you. Uh, And yet this one who owns everything, who is in total command, his ambition amongst us is to serve us, uh, to serve us at our greatest point of need, the need to be reconciled to our God, the need for his favour, undeserved favour. That's his ambition amongst us. And in Luke's Gospel, we've seen the historical account of our king on the move, on this ministry. Uh, He is the one who has come to proclaim good news, we've been told, uh, to a world uh, just like our world, under the shadow of death. He has come to bring good news to a world like that, to announce favour, to announce news of a turnaround where no turnaround was possible. And we've seen uh, throughout these early verses of Luke's Gospel, miracle after miracle uh, performed by Jesus in his ministry. Uh, Each miracle uh, pointing to the decisive moment when this one who proclaims favour would deliver it. Uh, The moment that he died and then rose again. Uh, Here is the one in our world who is about making all things new. Uh, Here is our king breaking into this broken world and pulling back the very shadow of death that enslaves us. And that's what we're going to see again today as we look at Luke 5, 12 to 16. We're going to see the ministry of Jesus Christ up close. And so come and see with me in these verses. Jesus proclaim and then deliver favour where we most need it. Come and see the one who is not only willing uh, but able to serve us in that way. And so as we start in in verse 12, it all starts in a fairly nondescript way. Uh, We're told it's just uh, one of the towns that Jesus was in. Now this seems a bit odd at this point in Luke's Gospel because he is a a writer who is very careful to give the details. He loves to fill in the context for us. And yet here he is describing just another town. But if you remember back in Luke 4, Jesus had said this was his ambition to not just stay in one town but to go with this news of favour to every town. And by the end of Luke's Gospel we'll see that that is an ambition he has for the whole globe. 
But there's more to it than that. This uh, nondescript town is also, uh, as we've seen already in Luke's Gospel, uh, the very sort of place where we see the brokenness in our world. It's not in always dramatic places. It's in just normal, everyday life that the brokenness of this world can be seen. And so here he is, verse 12, in just another town, and once again he is confronted with desperate need. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. Now, leprosy was a term that covered a whole wide variety of diseases, skin diseases, now, all of them untreatable, and many of them contagious, and some, when full-blown, as we see in this case, terminal. Now, this man is, as one commentator described him, a walking corpse, perhaps just days away from death, desperate. And Jesus hasn't sought him out. He doesn't need to in a world like ours. This is a world surrounded by desperate people. But this man has heard of Jesus' ministry. He's heard of this good news for the poor and he is desperate for it, so he seeks Jesus out. And for one like this, that is no small achievement. He is a complete outsider. You see, for God's people uh, at the time, they had strict instructions regarding the the treatment of someone like this who has uh, this sort of skin disease, leprosy. Now, I use the word uh, treatment loosely, for there was no treatment, medically speaking. Instead, what they would do, how they would treat such a person, is they would segregate them completely. Uh, They would be pushed totally out of society, outside of the community, to protect the community, health-wise. But also to indicate just how seriously, uh, serious uncleanness was in the presence of a God who is without blemish. And the instructions, and you can find them in Leviticus 13 for such a person, were, were very clear. And when a person like this man was found to be unclean, they were to tear their clothes, their hair was to remain unkempt, they were to cover their face. Their whole person was to shout, I am broken, I am unclean. And literally, uh, because in Leviticus 13, such a man would be instructed to, at regular intervals, shout out at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean. Imagine that scene as this person on the edge of the society is just shouting out at the top of his voice, unclean. He was to shout because his physical uncleanness was a symptom of a much bigger problem. Such a disease rendered a person not only physically unclean, but spiritually unclean. He must live alone removed from the people of God, but worse than that, removed from his God, removed from the very presence of God where God dwelt with his people. Leviticus 13 verse 46 says this, he must live outside the camp. Now, as we see this man, we need to see what Luke is doing here and showing us him. Regularly in the New Testament, and we've already seen this in Luke's gospel and we'll see it again and again, uh, the gospels use physical sickness as a metaphor for this deeper spiritual sickness. You see it all the way through the Gospels. John 9, for instance, uses blindness that way. And what it's trying to show us is that this uh, symptom that we're seeing, uh, this disease of leprosy, is a symptom of a disease that doesn't just affect this man, but is universal. Now, what is being said here is um, as much about us as it is this man. Now, here is a man with obvious symptoms of a disease we all suffer from our spiritual sickness, caused by our own estrangement from God. It's a disease caused by our declaration of autonomy from the God who is our king, who's given us everything. We disconnect ourselves from him. 
And the profound problem with doing that is that when you disconnect yourself from the author of life, all life becomes disconnected. Uh, Not only are we disconnected from our God who gives us everything, but from one another. And you can see that in the experience of relationships in our world. But not only one another, but even creation. Uh, Disconnected from it, not in control of it, not able to tame it. And even disconnected from ourselves, both physically and mentally, as this man is experiencing. Not in control of those things. His whole life shouts out to us, no, we're not okay. Unclean, unclean, he says. I am sick. I'm a sinner. Enslaved in a sinful world and powerless to change that. Here is one desperate to hear good news. And I think the only way that the ministry of Jesus Christ will be good news for us is if we are prepared to see ourselves too as desperately in need of this favour. For we too are morally and spiritually unclean before our God. And I think we see that when we view the symptoms in our own lives and the world around us when we view them honestly. We see it when we view our God as he is revealed to us in the scriptures. We see him as holy and we are not. Now here is a man whose uncleanness needs no exposure though. It is tattooed all over him. And so we read, he fell with his face to the ground and begged. He sees Jesus for who he is. His God, his king, his judge and he bows. But he sees Jesus for who he is the one who comes to bring favour, and he begs for it. And let me ask you again, are you prepared to line up with him? Are you desperate? And look at what Jesus, and look at what he asked Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, you, you can make me clean. I want life, I want to be clean, I want to come back inside the camp. Let me back, I know you can. Do you see that here? He has no doubt of Jesus' ability, he's heard of this ministry. But are you willing, Jesus? I've heard of your favour, this wonderful offer, cancelled debts, a restoration even of bodies, a welcome home. I need that. But does this extraordinary, undeserved favour, does it reach even someone like me? I reckon here in this question is one of the real obstacles to the gospel of grace that the Bible shows us. This gospel of undeserved favour. It just seems too good to be true especially if you feel undeserving. I suspect there are many, perhaps some even here this morning, who feel that their life is too messed up, too complicated, too many mistakes, too far unraveled to ever be put back together. And it's hard not to feel that way sometimes. And we can think to ourselves, I need to clean up my act before I come back to God. That's the way it works, surely. And we can especially feel that if that's the impression the Christian community gives us. Or perhaps we're the opposite, perhaps, and I suspect there are many of us like this, uh, we think, I need to make up for the favour that God is showing me. How many of us measure God's view of us by, not by his favour towards us, but by our performance that merits that favour? But here is one so used to brokenness, so used to being unclean, and yet he dares to ask, are you willing to share your favour with me? Well, behold... The mighty favour of your God in verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. He stretches out his arm, as God has so often done before for his people in great acts of salvation. 
He stretches out his arm in compassion to this broken creature whom he made and loves. And having stretched out his mighty arm, he touches him. What a moment. Can you imagine the experience for this man, this untouchable man, this man that no one wants to be near? So long untouchable. Here is one who enters into his uncleanness. Here is one who touches him. Which, of course, by law would render Jesus unclean too. And that is huge. And we'll come to that in a moment. But first, hear the words he says to this man, the words this man longs to hear. I am willing. Yes, favour reaches even one like this, actually especially one like this. I am willing to be with you in your uncleanness, but more than that, I'm willing to do something about it. And behold your God who is willing and able, who by his mighty, you see it here in verse 13, sovereign word makes all things new for this man. Be clean, he says. Now, interestingly, Jesus orders him not to speak of the healing, but instead, verse 14, to go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. What this man is to do as he goes to the priest, he is to be a clear testimony that here at last is the promised one. Here is the one they've been longing for. The servant of the Lord, anointed by God to bring favour. Here at last is one who is not only willing but able. It's an incredible moment. If you read the guidelines in the Levitical law for the provisions of someone like this, they beg a huge question. There's provisions of what to do when someone is unclean. It's a bit like a sort of, I can imagine in the temple, a sort of a, a laminated occupational health and safety guide. If someone's unclean, this is, these are the steps. Segregate them, push them outside the camp, have nothing to do with them. And then in Leviticus 14, there are provisions for what to do if someone somehow manages to be clean again. And there's a whole series of rituals to perform then, elaborate rituals, but only to be performed if they're actually clean again. If that's the case, then the priest can go outside the camp and see this man and confirm the healing. At that point, outside the camp, a sacrifice of thanksgiving is offered, and the clean person would wash and they would shave their hair, and then they could come into the camp. And not fully into the camp, of course, at this point, but they could be around others for a while. For the next seven days they were allowed, but not allowed to enter the tent where God dwells. But on the eighth day, at that point, a sacrifice for sin was made. A lamb was slaughtered to make atonement for this man. And finally he could come back in. But only if he started as a clean man when he came back in. It begs a question, doesn't it? How? How on earth do you get yourself from unclean to clean? It's impossible. There's no provision for it. There's provision for unclean people and clean people. But how do you jump that chasm? Well, here's the remarkable testimony that Jesus is sending with this man to the priest. It is the testimony of Jesus who says, I am willing, I am able. Do you see what Jesus has done here? He's gone outside the camp to this unclean man. He touches him and everything changes. You see, the normal equation would have been simple. Even the most willing priest, if he'd gone out to an unclean man, he too would be unclean. But Jesus goes out to this unclean man and cleanses him. Now, this is the testimony of Jesus. How does a person move from unclean to clean? I am the answer to that question, says Jesus. Uh, You see, this miracle is just a small sign, a, a little down payment of what Jesus has come to do on a personal and global scale for anyone desperate to be clean, clean from sin, anyone desperate for a way back to God. 
The actions here are like a tiny rehearsal of what he will do on the cross. It's just as Hebrews 13 declares to us, it is there that once and for all Jesus goes outside the camp. Once and for all there he stretches out his arms on the cross and says, I am willing, be clean. Hebrews 13 verse 12 says this, Jesus suffered outside the camp that he might make a people clean through his own blood. You imagine the scene in the temple when this uh, miraculous figure showed up? They've never seen anything like it. They, they've got the provision of what to do if someone's clean, but they've never had to use it because no one actually turns up. All of a sudden, here is this man, and they're having to sort of search the scriptures and dust off Leviticus 14 to remember what to do. Uh, here at last is the one who has made that move, unclean to clean. Here is the testimony that in this world under the shadow of death is one turning all of that around. Here is the one who can take us safely from the journey of being a sinner before our God to being clean before him. As he wandered into the camp, the priest would have asked, how on earth? And he would have given one word as answer, Jesus. This series is designed to cause us to see Jesus and his ministry as incredibly precious. And so today rejoice in the ministry of Jesus Christ, our King and our Priest, who sees our great need, forgiveness from sin, and he's able to meet it and willing. And I reckon to rejoice deeply in that this morning, the only way you're going to do that is if you haven't lost sight of how serious your state before God was or is if you've never come to him. Like this leper, each of us is utterly unclean before him. Let me ask you, is that how you would describe yourself if someone was to ask you uh, uh, what you're like? Would you describe yourself as unclean? Or, or perhaps another word the Bible uses for us, would you describe yourself as a sinner? I doubt we do it easily. Hey, we might uh, admit a few blemishes here and there, a few marks on our skins, but not this sort of full-blown uncleanness that we see here. I reckon most of us uh, view ourselves as a, a bit like a car with a few scratches, but nothing that a bit of touch-up paint can't fix. Uh, we are, uh, the Australian slang word, you may have it here, is we're clean skins, innocent of charge overall. But the truth is this leper is more us in the mirror than we imagine. He knew his state and was desperate for change. Uh, we've just met in Luke's Gospel this man Simon earlier in Luke 5, a man I reckon a bit more like how we view ourselves, a, a man not all messed up, a man seemingly in control, but he had to have his sin, his uncleanness exposed to him. And so do we. Our truth is, uh, we may assess ourselves as clean skins, but the Bible says at best our self-righteousness is like a dodgy paint job on a banged-up car. Now listen to the Scriptures' assessment of us clean skins. Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now the simple charge of the Bible is that before God we are all unclean. Now see the seriousness of that state. But see in Jesus here the wonderful response of your God for any who would come to him out of need. I am willing, he says. I have come to proclaim favour. I have come not, not for clean skins, but sinners. I've come not for the healthy, but for the sick. And so rejoice this day. Perhaps even for the first time, rejoice in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Our greatest need he meets and is willing to meet. So willing, because it's the very reason he came. 
as our passage nears its end, we see that such was the rejoicing surrounding this cleansing that, verse 15, news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to him and to be healed of their sicknesses. I mean, it begs the question, did this man disobey Jesus? He was told not to tell anyone. Did he tell anyone? Mark's gospel tells us he did. Luke spares his blushes at this point. Uh, Either way, the result is crowds and crowds of people surrounding Jesus, desperate for healing. Each uh, sickness, a a picture of just how broken our world is. Jesus is surrounded by need. And as we close, I I, want to do so by addressing a question that I think has been hanging in the air as we see Jesus uh, respond with such great compassion to these physical needs that keep confronting him. If we are followers of Jesus, living in the same broken world he did, If we are partners with him in this ministry of bringing favour as we are, what are we to learn from his compassionate response to this obvious physical needs in front of him? As urgent needs come across his path, desperate physical needs, he meets them. What are we to learn? Well, I think the simple answer to our question is this. As followers of Jesus, as those who are in on his work, we must respond as he does. We, like our God, are to have a bent towards the desperate, an impulse to see and gravitate towards those who in this broken world know their need. And if that's so, I suspect for us as a church family, there is much for us to do, isn't there? Much for us to change, much for us to think about and enact. But also it's worth seeing the, the much that is being done to follow Jesus in this example. I consider our mission partners and our mission committee who have a, a very deliberate policy that more and more as we go towards the future to be sending people out to work in areas where they have a bent towards reaching the unreached and unnoticed of our world, not just people like us. Or the uh, recent church plant to the Gleadless Valley, uh, an area seemingly far more uh, physically in need than our own. But I think even at that point, thinking of the Gleadless Valley plan, it, it, it finds us out a bit, doesn't it? And more of us should have gone. It says something of our hearts that they have not been transformed as much as we would like by this favour that has been given to us. It also, uh, I think, calls upon us to think about what we are doing here together. And there are discussions afoot to raise the profile, very deliberately raise the profile of work both locally and globally about this thing, being bent towards those who are desperate. Uh, There are small steps already. You'll hear a lot more about one of our partners, Tear Fund, that we work with uh, around Harvest uh, to hear of the work that they are doing, that we are part of. But I want to encourage uh, those who are already a part of this sort of work, perhaps in unnoticed ways, to, to speak of that with others, to encourage others of this work. Uh, We want to unearth and encourage and equip those who are about this work in various ways locally. And there are many amongst us who are. There are many who work with uh, the prison fellowship, uh, some who are in the pregnancy crisis centre, the soup run, who serve refugees, uh, people who choose to work in deprived areas deliberately, and no doubt others. And what a year we live in. What what many opportunities are are before us in this year of the Lord's favour. As recipients of his favour, we must respond as he did. But as we finish, see this, and it is important to see. Now, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
with all this need around him, crowds and crowds of people with physical needs, Jesus withdraws. And it's not the first time he's done it either. Even just back in Luke 4, we saw him do this. As the people in Capernaum crowd around him for physical healings. He leaves. Luke 4, verse 43, he says, Let us go from here. I must go to other towns. And why? With all this physical need in front of him, I must go there to proclaim the good news of God. That's why I've come. And Jesus knows the brokenness all around him is a symptom of a much bigger problem. And that's why he's come. He leaves to proclaim the good news. You see, God's very nature is compassion. He is moved by our brokenness. That is his constant response in a world like ours. But his compassion is so much more profound than ours. His compassion is for the whole person in the context of eternity. You search the scriptures for God's response of compassion. You see what moves his heart. You see what he does. He's moved with compassion for those who rebel against him and he holds back judgment. He's moved by the plight of the poor and he brings salvation. Moved by those steeped in sin, he takes it away. Moved by overwhelming physical needs. What does he do here in Luke's gospel? He preaches. You see, Jesus is not playing at the edge of brokenness. He's come to bring peace between God and his world. He's come not just to heal bodies, but bodies and souls. For he knows the great need of each man, even this leper, that they live on the edge of eternity. And his problem is not just that his body will die, but God will raise up that body and throw both body and soul into hell. And so Jesus sets his agenda for this world. The kingdom of God is breaking into this broken world through the proclamation of the gospel. And so our agenda is his agenda. Our solution must be his solution to this broken world, the proclamation of this news. And what does that look like as we close? Well, let me tell you of a man who's a hero of mine. I've never met him. I'll meet him in the new creation. His name is simply the preacher, the preacher of the Cabello Massacre of Rwanda, captured vividly by a man called George Gittos in a prize-winning piece of art. And George Gittos describes the events behind his painting, which won this prize in 1995. Under the auspices of the United Nations, Giddos and a medical team were visiting a village of Cabello when suddenly they found themselves in the middle of a massacre. And this is what he says. It was horrific. We saw children killed before our eyes. We were going in and getting out wounded as the people were macheting and shooting and killing. Suddenly there was this guy standing in the middle of the people as they were dying all around him. He just began to give this sermon in one of those beautiful, melodious African voices mingling English and French and French and Rwandan and quoting those parts of the New Testament, those bits which give you hope and speak of life beyond this life. I thought it took tremendous courage because he exposed himself, yet he had the presence of mind to know that this is what the people needed to hear most. Guido said he began to sketch the man very quickly but then took his photo of this preacher standing in the middle of this distressed people. Then the killing closed in. I don't know if he survived or whether the people around survived. As we began pulling the bodies out, I looked for him. I I looked for that distinctive yellow coat he was wearing, but I couldn't see it. Just his Bible. As people transformed by the compassionate favour of our God, we are compelled to meet present physical needs before us and all the more. But if our compassion stops there, 
If our compassion is happy to leave our neighbour patched up but still outside the camp, outside of God's offer of eternal favour, leave him steeped in sin that Jesus came to take away from him, that is not compassion at all. So like the one we follow, we must stay the course of God's compassionate plan for this world, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, uh, your wonderful favour towards us. We thank you for your wisdom in sending your Son to speak of this favour to us. We thank you that he has delivered it once and for all as he went outside the camp for us. Father, we pray that you would cause us to fall in line behind him, uh, responding as he did. And we pray this for your glory's sake and our good. Amen.